Q&A. What's your name? We'll start with the first question. <laughs> huh? Oyet. Who you came in with, I know. I know you're Kira. Go ahead. I'll tell you why tonight I wouldn't want to go there. Because what you just did is you made it again about yourself. Tikkun is about you. So I would rather for tonight not even go to Tikkun. I, I wouldn't even go there. Because what is driving you to say Tikkun is your absolute need to make sense because I need to believe in a good God and I need it to be a God that I think is good and tikkun is good. So if you, if you hurt me, God, and I understand that that's tikkun, so really you're cleaning me, you're not hurting me, you're fixing me, you're not breaking me, so I can live with you. But if I can't stick this into tikkun, then i got a big problem. And that's why tikkun tonight would get in the way because it's still saying, i got to understand God. It's got to make sense to me. I still don't want to get myself out of the way. Just absolutely fall back in the hands of God. Yeah. The ultimate mobility, the ultimate falling back is, no, it makes no sense to me. The tikkun doesn't make sense to me. Why would a child need to be sick, God forbid, or all the other things that we go on day in and day night in life and, and to the finest people and people who do teshuva, people who really made a change for God. I, I got to believe Tikkun. No, I don't have to believe Tikkun. I have to just believe in God. Okay, so I'm not saying Tikkun isn't true. I'm just saying for tonight, the reason why we're trying to grab onto Tikkun is because we still want to be able to understand. I still want to feel comfortable with my beliefs, and I don't feel comfortable believing in a God that hurts people, that hurts people that, that were there for Him, that, that actually paid a price for Him. So I'm going to come up with Tikkun. For tonight, don't do that. Just be okay with, with just not understanding. You know those voices you've been hearing? <laughs> <laughs> Josie, what are you doing here, Josie? <laughs> You know, what's amazing about the Jewish people is 
that instead of finding the extraordinary only in the extraordinary, after 3,300 years, we find the extraordinary in the ordinary. You'd be amazing how many times God speaks to you, but it isn't extraordinary, so you didn't bother to stop and listen. But if you came across a burning bush with a voice coming out of it, you'd stop and listen. But that's, that's extraordinary. It's amazing when you can live your day-to-day -day life and see God talking to you, ordinary. And that's where we're up to. And there's a reason why we're up to there. Because if we need the extraordinary, then we're very far away from Mashiach. Mashiach is where the infinite and the finite work hand-in-hand hand as a team. When we need miracles, that's not a very good sign. So the more we find the extraordinary and the ordinary, the more we're living out the real purpose. And that's really how God's talking to us today, through the ordinary. No, we changed. <laughs> Go ahead, my friend. Interesting. Interesting. What he's saying is, he's saying that um, can we connect this, the, the class with one of the major concepts in Tanya? that uh, quotes the Talmud that says that there is a tzaddik who has a good in this world and there's a tzaddik who suffers in this world and the tzaddik who suffers in this world is because he's an incomplete tzaddik and therefore he needs to go through tikkun and therefore better have it in this world than in that world. The problem with connecting that to today's class is what I spoke before about with Rivka because we're still, we're still trying to find a logical reason which I can be comfortable with why there would be a tzaddik veralo, why there would be a tzaddik who's suffering. So I need to have the human mind understand it and the Talmud with his, which, which is methodological gives me a logical reason. Now I'd like to know if I can live without a logical reason. That's what tonight's class is all about. I'm sorry? God makes people who suffer love the most and that but, th but then again, 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 what we're doing here is we're coming up with logical, right? You only hit your own kid. You don't hit someone else's kid and so forth and so on. What I'm trying to do tonight is, is say that what we're saying is true, not because you and I are saying it, but because the Torah said it. He quoted a Talmud. Tzadik is in the Talmud. And then what you're talking about is a verse. Those who he loves, he rebukes. So it's true. My, my, my goal tonight is to ask, do we need this? Let's go back to Manus Friedman's story. And what happens next year when it rains on the parade and we don't have a verse to help us out? And we don't have a Talmudic teaching to make sense out of it? And I'm really stuck with saying, I'm sorry, I, I can't defend you, God. I really can't defend you. Let me tell you an interesting story. Previous Rebbe during World War II, the Holocaust, he was talking about, with bitterness, to someone about the suffering of the Jewish people. And the person who he was talking to was another rabbi, not from Chabad, famous Rosh Hashiva. And that person was telling the previous Rebbe, but you know that uh, in Germany the Jews were assimilating, and then he was starting to defend God. Again, the tikkun, and then the, the rebuke, and then the we, 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 got, we misbehaved. 
And Peter's Rebbe told him, do me a favor, God doesn't need no lawyers. Now, let's talk about the previous Rebbe's point of view. What was he saying? Don't stick up for God. This time, let God be wrong. You know, I paid a big emotional price for doing it with you guys, but I did it. I don't regret it. It just cost it a lot. Remember, I ran over here to session, got on trial. It's, uh, what is the point? Will I be happy with one or two things? The average egotistical human, now remember, over here I don't mean the word egotistical as negative. I mean it as natural. I'm not talking about, oh, he's such an egomaniac. No, I'm talking about a healthy ego. Just what, something you would expect from a human being that has self-respect. The average egotistical human being needs one of two resolutions. Either admit to me that God was wrong. Just admit to me that God was wrong. The Holocaust was wrong. He was wrong for what he did. Or another outcome which would be okay for the egotistical mind is, okay, explain it to me. Explain it to me. Tell me that the Jews were into marrying and the Jews were leaving away the path and it happened before in the history. Every time the prophets warned us, yada, yada, yada. Make sense out of it. So I need one or two. Either something that I can wrap my head around, that God is right, or I need a rabbi who's truthful enough to stand up and say God was wrong. That's what the human egotistical mind needs with something like the Holocaust. What do you think the previous Rebbe was going through? So the previous Rebbe was complaining. This rabbi thought that he has to give the previous Rebbe chizuk. He's going through a moment of, of, of hardship in his amuna. Obviously, zero understanding of what a Rebbe is. So he starts telling the previous Rebbe, no, 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 it's okay. Go on with Amunah because God was right. <laughs> and what does the previous Rebbe answer him? God doesn't need a lawyer. What was going on in that room? I mean, not that we'll ever understand what a, what a previous Rebbe's, uh, what a Rebbe's mind is, right? Therefore, I were to know where I to be. But one thing I do know about the previous Rebbe, he didn't have doubts in Amunah. So what was he saying? From today's class, we can understand what he was saying. Would you stop needing to make sense of it? Can we absolutely, from the finite perspective, quetch about this, have a problem with it, and then turn to each other and say, okay, guys, time for Mincha. What do you mean, Mincha? Didn't you just decide that God was wrong? Why would you pray to such a God? So the point is God was not wrong. God was never wrong. God isn't wrong. And I don't need to understand. So let me quetch. Let me quetch and don't worry about it because it's not affecting my amuna. I can sit and quetch about it and I don't need you to decide that you're going to defend God. Because I don't have a problem with God. I have a problem with what happened, but I don't have a problem with God. Well, how can you not have a problem with God when for the last half hour you're talking about how horrendous the Holocaust was? But that's okay. It is horrendous, and I'll never stop saying it's horrendous. I'm not here to defend God, and God doesn't need my defense, and I'm okay with God. You follow what I'm saying here? That's a lot of what today's class is. There's only one part of us that can deal with that, and that is the lech lecha. The rest of us can't do that. How can my mind accept that I'm going to put my faith in a God who did what he did in the Holocaust? 
How can I pray to a God, trust in a God who promised me if I behave, he's going to do what I want, and he took the finest and the holiest, and look what he did to them. The human mind can't understand that. Give me an answer. Give me tikkun. Tell me that God made a mistake for once. I can live with that. But don't tell me that he's such a great God and he's always right, he's always compassionate, he's always good, never broke a promise, and he did what he did. The mind can't handle that. And that's what the beauty of a test is. The beauty of a test is to look into the paradox and leave go. Acceptance. And all of a sudden you find a piece of you that you've never knew even could exist. Are we, are we understanding now a little bit what the class is about? It's not an easy class. I mean, we have a bunch of people. So let me just start with the people who didn't have a chance. Go ahead. Which goes back to the question, which goes, which goes back to the exact question we, pre we presented before. God said, if you walk in my statutes, it will be good. A sick child is not good. And it happens. So you're going to ask the question in a million different ways. But it still boils down to that one point. If God said it's going to be good, and I know what good is, and this is not good. That's a problem. And the only way to get past that is through nisyonot, the so testing. By the way, that's a logical answer, which is okay to be heard. But, uh, but... <laughs> And not that I should use that ever in a class, but let me tell you, let me tell you where your questions went wrong for today's class. For today's class. I'm not saying this is Judaism, but for tonight's class, let me tell you where your question went wrong. In the opening words of, so am I to understand. That's how you started your question. For tonight's class, that was already wrong. That's the point. The point is when we don't understand. The point is why does God put us into positions where we don't have to understand? Why does God put me in a position where I really need to question? Not my rules. You made these rules. And the answer to that is that there's a place within us that doesn't have to understand. And that is what we're talking about with the lech lecha. And not only that, but understanding gets in the way. You know how many times we tell God, with your compassion, not my compassion, because I don't even know what's right for me no more. How many times do we pray for something and we regret? You know that famous saying, be careful what you pray for. What you wish for, you pray for. It's a problem. So as Jews, we always know, we tell God, I'm praying for this because this is what I think is best. But I am sticking in a clause over there that you who knows everything, do me a favor, do what you know is best. But again, even here I'm botching up the class because I am living in the comfort zone of saying, well, God knows what's best. It's still the best. What I'm asking for tonight is lech lecha. Don't need answers. 
The part of you that could have an answer isn't the infinite self. That's the methodological self. <laughs> That's a good question. That is a very beautiful question. I was going through my mind tonight a lot. Revitin Roth, what's the answer to that question? That, no, no, but that wasn't the question. The question was, then why do we spend most of our life studying and knowing if ultimately speaking the greatest thing is not to need to know? And what you said was that because the finite, we're finite? Very beautiful. Guys, you hear it? What's your first name? I'm sorry. Lulu. Lulu. You hear what she's saying? What Lulu's saying? You see, just like we're saying, what she's saying is chsidis. That's beautiful. Thank you. If, if it's only infinite and not finite, A, it's not infinite, and B, I'm not really in the relationship because that's denying me. As much as I spent tonight talking about that something's got to give in the consummation between the infinite and the finite. And I was presenting that the infinite, the finite has got to give by leaving go of the egotistical demand that I needed to make sense to me. That was the whole class tonight. But then you shot a beautiful question at me. And the question is, then why do we have to learn? Let's just, you know, the whole Judaism should be one sentence. Ani mamin. And the answer is because that a huge part of me, the one I deal with day in and day out, is the finite side of me. So if all I have to religion is infinite, that means my mind can't have a relationship with God. On the contrary, my mind is contrary to God. It's contrary to my relationship with God. The whole beauty of Judaism is to be able to slowly but surely absorb yesterday's faith into today's intellect, leaving greater horizons for faith. Think about as a child, so many things that we had to believe because we didn't stop studying. Today we don't have to believe them. We know them through our study and our faith has taken on a whole new horizon. So in the relationship with God, if God just created the impossible, the illogical, then the only part of me that belongs to God is my essence. The rest of me doesn't have a relationship with God. But the fact that we can spend here over an hour now using our brains, the same brains that figures out how to pay bills, the same brain that figures out how to make a living, is now figuring out a relationship with God. That means that my relationship with God is in absolute totality. The infinite with the infinite, the finite with the finite. Here's an important rule, guys. Important rule in the world of Kabbalah. Infinite has to also be finite or it isn't infinite. 
for an infinite that's only infinite is ultimately finite. Let's say it again. An infinite that's only infinite is ultimately finite because there's something that it's not. It's only infinite, it's not finite. So if only, the only thing, I'm sorry? So if my Judaism can only live on the illogical emunah, which denies my intellectual engagement, then ultimately it's not infinite. The beauty of God's infinite is that it also can fit into my finite. So now ask me again the other question. Let's go back. <laughs> so if the infinite fits into the finite, then why do I need to leave go and acceptance? The answer is we have to wash out the cup before we fill it. Washing out the arrogance, the totality of the arrogance of making God fit into your world, not making your world open up for God, needs to be washed out. That's washed out through tests that demand nothing more than acceptance. Because once you have entered into the world of acceptance, then logic isn't a deterrent. It's a relationship. It's a bridge. Let's talk about two ways of asking a question. This Gemara doesn't make sense. It, it just doesn't make sense. Another way is, Hashem, would you please open up my mind to understand this Gemara? It's a difference of finger pointing. You see, when we begin with acceptance, when we begin with having a test to know that even when it does rain on my parade, I'm going to go pray the next day to God. I'm going to believe in God. And I'm going to invest money into making another parade the year after. Only then do we know that when it doesn't rain on, on my parade, it's not about me, it's about God. Even when it makes sense, it's not about the arrogance. Oh, this I can do. No, for a change, God's making sense. Oh, this I can do. So we need to make sure that it's not squeezing the infinite into the finite, but rather opening up the finite to absorb the infinite. That's why we need to have a lech lecha. And after the lech lecha, now we can begin to absorb. Thank you very much for that. Anything else? I, I'm not going to say shouldn't understand. I shouldn't, 
but don't need to understand from our human side. Let me tell you another story, Colin. <laughs> There's a story. The story is by Rabbi Yitzhak Rona, blessed memory, very special. He's a, the Reb's emissary in Australia. And he told a story about how the, these two people were arguing in, uh, in a museum. Well, a museum with priceless art. And the curator comes over, guys, this is a museum. What are you making such a ruckus? And one guy tells the uh, curator, would you believe that Joe Schmo here says that he doesn't understand <laughs> what's so priceless about this painting? It's not so, I mean, it doesn't make sense to him. It's not, you know, abstract, abstract. It's a, you know, it's a, it ca kind of, it gets to a point where you're not sure what, what your kid brought home from, you know, arts and crafts and what's priceless art. And he just doesn't understand it. So the curator turned around and told the person, sir, the wall, the paintings that make it onto the walls of this museum aren't here for your approval. They're here to see if you can appreciate fine art. As human beings, we do that with God. We somehow think that God isn't God until he has our approval to be God. We sometimes think that God isn't right until we approve that he's right. There's a very different approach in learning. We need to learn so that we can appreciate fine, priceless, divine art. Not that we should validate priceless, divine art. So that's the difference if the study becomes a, a dichotomy with faith or a bridge between my faith and my practical self. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an interesting answer. You know, something I came across in my writing classes is that very great writers sometimes take license to veer away from correct grammar. But you can only do that once you've become a master writer and understand grammar inside out. There is a huge difference between you and I arguing with God and Moses and Abraham weigh into their life of absolute selflessness to God arguing with God I, I'm not I'm not saying yes and no I'm just saying arguing with God has to come not as the beginning of a relationship arguing with God only becomes acceptable when you've slaughtered your ego and washed out your personal subjectiveness, and now I'm arguing with God for God's glory. I want to say that again. I'm arguing with God for God's glory, not for my selfish purpose. You find Abraham arguing with God over Sodom and Amorah. You find Moses arguing with God over the suffering of his brethren. It's very interesting that the great Sadiqim who fought with God for everyone else forewent their own. People ask me so many times, the Rebbe has blessed so many Jews that couldn't have children. 
what's about the Rebbe and the Rebetzin and their own physical biological child? I, I'm not going to stick my nose into there, but this question has been asked to me so many times. You know, when you get to a point, let me, let me say it this way, another story. They asked the Alter Rebbe, isn't being a Rebbe a desire like all other desires? And yet you demand that we should control our desires and not give in to our desires. The desire of being a Rebbe, of having a spiritual status, of, of being able to experience such a closeness to God, is a desire like every other desire. So I like steak and, <laughs> and the Rebbe is like spirituality. The Alter Rebbe didn't argue. He answered, but in order to give in to this desire, you have to first overcome all other desires. So it's amazing how Jews are so quick to point that our greatest sages always argued with God. Well, let's, let's first see what they did before they argued with God. And let's see what they argued with God about. And did they ever argue with God if not for God's glory? Didn't Moses tell God, but if you do wipe out the Jews, then the Egyptians will say about you. A different argument. And I love it because as a kid, being manipulative, I thought that was a great move. <laughs> I really did. You know, as a child, I thought, wow, I got to use that on my mom. <laughs> you know, that's brilliant. That was a brilliant move. And then you certainly realize, no, Moses was serious. Moses was really serious. He was fighting with God not to desecrate his own name in the world. Because once you've associated yourself with your people, they are your name. Total different 